Section 9 of National Geographic Magazine, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Kleiser. An Expedition to Mount St. Elias, Alaska, by Israel C. Russell. Part 2. Narrative of the St. Elias Expedition of 1890. Part 3. From Yucatan Bay to Blossom Island. Our camp on the shore of Yucatan Bay was held for several days after returning from Mahangi Island, but in the meantime, an advance camp was established on the side of the Lucia Glacier, from which Mr. Kerr and myself made explorations ahead. Before leaving the base camp, I visited Black Glacier for the purpose of taking photographs and studying the appearance of an old glacier far spent and fast passing away. This, like the Galliano Glacier, is a good example of a great number of ice streams in the same region, which are covered from side to side with debris. The canyon walls on either side rise precipitously in their lower slopes, from the height of 200 or 300 feet, are bare of vegetation. The surface of the glacier has evidently sunken to this extent, within a period too short to allow the, for the accumulation of soil and the rooting of plants on the slopes. The banks referred to are in part below the upper limit of timber growth, and the adjacent surfaces are covered with bushes, grasses, and flowers. Under the climactic conditions there prevailing, it is evident that the formation of soil and the spreading of plants over areas abandoned by ice is a matter of comparatively few years. It is for this reason that a very recent retreat of Black Glacier is inferred. Many of the glaciers in southern Alaska give similar evidence of recent contraction, and it is evident that a climatic change is in progress, which is either decreasing the winter's snow or increasing the summer's heat. The most sensitive indicators of these changes, responding even more quickly than does the vegetation, are the glaciers. The 4th of July was spent by us in cutting a trail up the steep mountain slope to the amphitheater visited during my first trip. No one can appreciate the density and luxuriance of the vegetation on the lower mountain in that region until he has cut a passage through it. Seven men, working continuously for six or seven hours with axes and knives, were able to open a comparatively good trail about a mile in length. The remainder of the way was along stream courses and up boulder washes, which were free from vegetation. In the afternoon, having finished our task, a half-holiday was spent in an exciting search for two huge brown bears discovered by one of the party, but they vanished before the guns could be brought out. The next day an advance camp was made in the amphitheater above Timberline, and there Mr. Kerr and myself passed the night molested only by swarms of mosquitoes, and the day following occupied an outstanding butte as a topological station. In the afternoon of the same day, the advance camp was moved to the border of the Atrevida Glacier at a point already described, where a muddy stream gushes out from under the ice. Our next advance camp, established a few days later, was at Terrace Point, as we called the extreme end of the mountain spur separating the Lucia and Atrevida glaciers. These ice streams were formerly much higher than now, and when at their flood, formed terraces along the mountainside, which remain distinctly visible to the present day. 
the space between the two glaciers at the southern end of the mountain spur became filled with boulders and stones carried down on the side of the ice streams and as the glaciers contracted added a tapering point to the mountain between the present surface of the ice and the highest terrace left at some former time there are many ridges sloping downstream which record minor changes in the fluctuation of the ice a portion of one of these terraces is seen in plate 10. Terrace Point, like all the lower portions of the mountain spurs extending southward from the main range, is densely clothed with vegetation, and during the short summers is a paradise of flowers. Our tent was pitched on a low terrace just beyond the border of ice. The steep bluff rising to an elevation of some 200 feet on the east of our camp was formed by glacier ice buried beneath an absolutely barren covering of stones and dirt. On the west, the ascent was still more precipitous, but the slope from base to summit was one mass of gorgeous flowers. Kerr and myself made several excursions from the camp at Terrace Point and explored the country ahead to the next mountain spur for the purpose of selecting a site for another advance camp. In the meantime, the men were busy in bringing up supplies. Our reconnaissance westward took us across the Lucia Glacier to the mouth of a deep, traverse gorge in the next mountain spur. The congeries of low peaks and knobs south of this pass we named the Floral Hills, on account of the luxuriance of the vegetation covering them, and the saddle separating them from the mountains to the north was called Floral Pass. In crossing the Lucia Glacier, we experienced the usual difficulties met with on the debris-covered ice field of Alaska. The way was exceedingly rough on account of the ridges and valleys on the ice, and on account of the angular condition of the debris rising upon it. Many of the ridges could not conveniently be climbed, owing to the uncertain footing afforded by the angular stones resting on the slippery slope beneath. Fortunately, the crevices were mostly filled with stones fallen from the sides, so that the danger from open fissures, which was usually to be guarded against in glacier excursions, was obviated. Yet, as is usually the case when crevices become filled with debris, the melting of the adjacent surfaces had caused them to stand in relief and form ridges of loose stones, which were exceedingly troublesome to the traveler. Near the western side of the Lucia Glacier, between Terrace Point and Floral Pass, there is a huge rounded dome of sandstone rising boldly out of the ice. This corresponds to the nunataks of the Greenland ice fields and was covered by ice when the glaciation was more intense than at present. On the northern side of the island, the ice is formed high up in its flanks and is deeply covered with moraines. But on the southwestern side, its base is low and skirted by a sand plain deposited in a valley formerly occupied by a lake. The melting of the glacier has, in fact, progressed so far that the dome of rock is free from ice on its southern side and is connected with the border of the valley toward the west by the sand plain. This plain is composed of gravel and sand deposited by streams which at times became dammed lower down and expanded into a lake. Sunken areas and holes over portions of the lake bottom show that it rests, in part at least, upon a bed of ice. The most novel and interesting feature in the Lucia Glacier 
is a glacial river which bursts from beneath a high archway of ice just at the eastern base of the nunatak mentioned above and flows for about a mile and a half through a channel excavated in the ice to then enter the mouth of another tunnel and become lost to view an illustration of this strange river and of the mouth of the tunnel in the debris-covered ice into which it rolls reproduced from a photograph by a mechanical process is given on plate fourteen page one ten and another view of the mouth of the same tunnel is presented in the succeeding plate this is the finest example of a glacial river that it has ever been my good fortune to examine the stream is swift and its waters are brown and heavy with sediment its breadth is about a hundred and fifty feet for the greater part of its way where open to sunlight it flows between banks of ice and over an icy floor fragments of its banks and portions of the sides and roof of the tunnel from which it emerges are swept along by the swift current or stranded here and there in midstream the sand plain already mentioned borders the river for a portion of its course and is flooded when the lower tunnel is obstructed the archway under which the stream disappears is about fifty feet high and the tunnel retains its dimensions as far as one can see by looking in at its mouth where the stream emerges is unknown but the emergence could no doubt be discovered by examining the border of the glacier some miles southward no explorer has yet been bold enough to enter the tunnel and drift through with the stream although this could possibly be done without great danger the greatest risk in such an undertaking would be from falling blocks of ice when i stood near the mouth of the tunnel there came a roar from the dark cavern within reverberating like the explosion of a heavy blast in the chambers of a mine that undoubtedly marked the fall of an ice mass from the arched roof the course of the stream below the mouth of the tunnel may be traced for some distance by scarps in the ice above formed by the settling of the roof some of these may be traced in the illustrations when the roof of the tunnel collapses so completely as to obstruct a passage a lake is formed above the tunnel and when the obstruction is removed the streams draining the glacier are flooded at the mouth of the tunnel there are always confused noises and rhythmic vibrations to be heard in the dark recesses within the air is filled with pulsations like deep organ notes it takes but little imagination to transform these strange sounds into the voices and songs of the mythical inhabitants of the nether region toward the right of the tunnel as shown on plate fourteen there appears a portion of the former river bed now abandoned owing to the cutting across of a bend in the stream the floor of this old channel is mostly of clear white ice and has a peculiar hummocky appearance which indicates the direction of the current that once flowed over it a portion of the bed is covered with sand and gravel and along its borders are gravel terraces resting on ice these occurrences illustrate the fact that rivers flowing through channels of ice are covered by the same general laws as the more familiar surface streams after examining this glacial river during our first excursion on the lucia glacier we reached its western banks by crossing above the upper archway traversing the sand plain to the westward we came to another stream of nearly equal interest flowing along the western margin of the glacier past the end of the deep gorge called floral pass 
a small creek flowing down the pass joins the stream and skirts the glacier just below the mouth of a wild gorge on the side of the main valley this stream once flowed along the border of the lucia glacier when it was much higher than now and began the excavation of a channel in the rock which was retained after the surface of the glacier was lowered by melting it still flows in a rock-cut channel for about a mile before descending to the border of the glacier as it exists at present the geologist will see at once that this is a peculiar example of superimposed drainage the gorge cut by the stream is a deep narrow trench with rough angular cliffs on either side and is a good example of a water-cut canyon when the lucia glacier melts away and leaves the broad-bottomed valley clear of ice the deep narrow gorge on its western side running parallel with its longer axis but a thousand feet or more above its bottom will remain as one of the evidences of a former ice invasion during our reconnaissance we turned back at the margin of the second river but a day or two later reached the same point with the camp hands and camping outfit and placing a rope from bank to bank effected a crossing our next camp was in floral pass from there we occupied a topographical station on the summit of the floral hills and made another reconnaissance ahead across the hayden glacier to the next mountain spur floral pass like so many of the topographical features examined during the recent expedition has a peculiar history it is a comparatively low-grade gorge leading directly across the end of an angular mountain range forming one of the spurs of mount cook the position of the pass was determined by an east and west fault and by the erosion of soft shales turned up on an edge along the line of displacement at its head it is shut in by the hayden glacier which flows past it and forms a wall of ice about two hundred feet high the water flowing out from beneath the side of the glacier forms a muddy creek which finds its way over a boulder-covered bed in the bottom of the gorge to the border of the lucia glacier along the sides of the gorge there are many terraces which record a complicated history evenly stratified clay near its lower end adjacent to the lucia glacier show that it was at one time occupied in part by a lake above the leucostral beds there are water-worn deposits indicating that at a later date the gorge was filled from side to side by moraines and coarse stream deposits several hundred feet thick these were excavated and portions were left clinging to the hillsides forming the terraces of today diverse slopes in the terraces suggest that the drainage may at times have been reversed according as the lucia or the hayden glacier was the higher the routes between our various camps scattered along between yucatat bay and blossom island were traversed several times by every member of the party to traverse the same trail several times with heavy loads and perhaps in rain and mist is disheartening work which i will spare the reader the effort of following even in fancy from our camp in floral pass another reconnaissance ahead was made by mr kerr and myself as already mentioned these advances each one of which told us something new were the most interesting portions of our journey the little adventures and experiences of each advance were reported and talked over when we rejoined our companions around the campfire at night and were received with gratifying interest by the men 
a view of the hayden glacier from the floral hills showed us that it differed from any of the glaciers previously traversed its surface where we planned to cross it was free of debris except along the margins and also near the center where we could distinguish a light medial moraine farther southward near the terminus of the glacier its surface from side to side was buried beneath a sheet of stones and dirt as in many other instances the debris on the lower portion of the glacier has been concentrated at the surface owing to the melting of the ice so as to form a continuous sheet early one morning while traveling over the torrent swept boulders in the stream bed on our way up floral pass we were a little startled at seeing the head of a bear just visible through the flowers fringing the bank before a shot could be fired he vanished and remained perfectly quiet along the bushes for several minutes but a trembling of the branches at length betrayed his presence and a few minutes later he came out in full view his yellow-brown coat giving him the appearance of a huge dog standing on a rounded mound he looked inquiringly down the valley with his shaggy side in full view i fired but missed my aim the unsuccessful hunter always has an excuse for his failure i had never before used the rifle i carried and the hair trigger with which it was provided deceived me fortunately for the bear and probably still more fortunately for me the bullet went far above the mark the huge beast vanished again although the vegetation was not dense and left us wondering how such a large animal could disappear so quickly and so completely in such an open region on searching for his tracks we found that he had traversed for a few rods the plant-covered terrace on which he was first discovered and then escaped up a lateral gorge to a broader terrace above reaching the head of the floral pass and climbing the hill of debris bordering the hayden glacier we came out upon the clear white ice of the central portion of the ice stream the ice was greatly creviced but nearly all the gaps in its surface could be crossed by jumping or else by ice bridges the most interesting feature presented by the glacier was the way in which it yields itself to the inequality of the rocks over which it flows starting on the eastern side below the entrance to floral pass and extending northwestward diagonally across the stream there is a line of steep descent in the rocks beneath which causes the ice to be greatly broken this is not properly an ice fall except near the confining walls of the canyon but it might be called an ice rapid the ice bends down over the subglacial scarp with many long breaks but does not form pinnacles as in many similar instances where the descent is greater and true ice cascades occur the most practical way for crossing the glacier was to ascend the stream above the line of rapids for some distance and then follow diagonally down its center finally veering westward to the opposite bank by following this course and making a double curve like the letter s we could cross the steep descent in the center where it was least creviced the marginal moraines on the hayden glacier are formed of fragments of brown and gray sandstone and black shale of all sizes and shapes it is clear that this debris was gathered by the cliffs bordering the glacier on either side the medial moraine which first appears at the surface just above the rapids is of a different character and tells that the higher peaks of mount cook are composed in part at least 
of a different material from the spurs projecting from it. The medial moraine looks black from a distance, but on traversing it, it was found to be composed mainly of dark green gabbro and serpentine. The debris is scattered over the surface in a belt several rods wide, but it is not deep, as the ice can almost everywhere be seen between the stones. Where the fragments of rock are most widely separated, there are fine illustrations of the manner in which small, dark stones absorb the heat of the sun and melt the ice beneath more rapidly than the surrounding surface, sinking into the ice so as to form little wells several inches deep filled with clear water. Larger stones, which are not warmed through during a day's sunshine, protect the ice beneath while the adjacent surface is melted and consequently become elevated on pillars or pedestals of ice. The stones thus elevated are frequently large and form tables which are nearly always inclined southward. In other instances, the ice over large areas, especially along the center of the medial moraine, was covered with eons of fine angular fragments from a few inches to three or four feet in height. These were not really piles of gravel as they seemed, but consisted of cones of ice sheeted over with thin layers of small stones. The secret of their formation, long since discovered on the glaciers of Switzerland, is that the gravel is first concentrated in a hole in the ice, and, as the general surface melts away, acts like a large stone and protects the ice beneath. It is raised on a pedestal, but the gravel at the borders continually rolls down the sides, and a conical form is the result. Where we cross the Hayden Glacier, it is only about a mile broad in a direct line, but to traverse it by the circuitous route, rendered necessary by the character of its surface, required about three hours of hard tramping, even when unencumbered by packs. From the center of the glacier, a magnificent view may be obtained of the snow-covered domes of Mount Cook, from which rugged mountain ridges stretch southward like great arms and enclose the white snow field from which the glacier flows. At an elevation of 2,500 feet, the icy portion disappears beneath a neve on which not a trace of debris is visible. All the higher portions of the mountains are as white as snow can make them, except where the pinnacles and precipices are too steep to retain a covering. On reaching the western side of the glaciers, we found a bare space on the bordering cliffs, about a hundred feet high, which had been abandoned by the ice so recently that it had not yet grassed over. Above this came the luxuriant and beautiful vegetation covering all the lower mountain slopes. The mountain spur just west of the glacier, like several of the ridges stretching southward from the higher mountains, ends in a group of hills somewhat separate from the main ridge. The hills are covered with a rank vegetation and in places support a dense growth of spruce trees. Reaching the grassy summit, we had a fine, far-reaching view of the unexplored region toward the west and of the vast plateau of ice stretching southward beyond the reach of the vision. West of our station, another great ice stream named the Marvine Glacier in honor of the late A. R. Marvine with a breadth exceeding that of any of the ice streams yet crossed. Beyond the Marvine Glacier, and forming its western border, there is an exceedingly rugged mountain range trending northeast and southwest. 
although this is topographically a portion of the mountain mass forming mount cook its prominence and its peculiar geological structure render it important that it should have an independent name in acknowledgment of the services to science rendered by the first state geologist of massachusetts it is designated the hitchcock range on our maps rising above the angular crest line of this mountain mass towards the pyramidal summit of mount saint elias seemingly as distant as when we first beheld it from near yucatup bay about a mile west of the hill in which we stood and beyond the bed of a lake now drained of its waters by a tunnel leading southward through the ice rose a steep rocky island out of the glacier its summit overgrown with vegetation and dark with spruce trees this oasis in a sea of ice subsequently named blossom island we chose as the most favorable site for our next advance camp when we returned to our camp in floral pass and a day or two later kerr and christie started on a side trip up the hayden glacier to be absent five days during this trip the weather was stormy and only allowed half an hour for topographical work when a somewhat favorable station was reached this was of great service however in mapping the country as it gave a station of considerable elevation on the side of mount cook the trip was nearly all above the snow line and was relieved by many novel experiences while kerr and christie were away i assisted the campans in advancing to blossom island our first day's work consisted in packing loads across the hayden glacier to the wooded hills on its western border reached during the reconnaissance described above the weather was stormy and a dense fog rolled in from the ocean obscuring the mountains and compelling us to find our way across the glacier as best we could without landmarks patiently threading our way along crevices we at length came in sight of the forests on the extremity of the mountain spur toward the west and concluded to camp there until the weather was more favorable we climbed the bare slope bordering the glacier and forced our way through the dripping vegetation to an open space beside a little stream and near some aged spruce trees that would furnish good fuel for a campfire we were glad of a refuge but did not fully appreciate the fact that our tents were in a paradise of flowers until the next morning when the sun shone clear and bright for a few hours we hailed with delight the world of summer beauty with which we were surrounded our camp was in a little valley amid irregular hills of debris left by the former ice invasion each of which was a rounded dome of flowers the desolate ice fields were completely shut out from view by the rank vegetation on the slope above us dark spruce trees loaded with streamers of moss and seemingly many centuries old formed a background for the floral decoration with which the ground was everywhere covered flowering plants and ferns were massed in such dense luxuriance that the streams were lost in gorgeous banks of bloom reluctantly we returned to floral pass for another load of camp supplies and late in the afternoon pressed on to blossom island where we once again pitched our tents in rain and mist and again when the storm cleared away found ourselves in an untrodden paradise kerr and christie rejoined us at blossom island on july thirty first and we are once more ready for an advance end of section nine recording by steve kleiser